Welcome to episode 7 of 1 minute and 43 seconds, a true Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Today I have my friend and special guest who has joined us before. He's here with us again. Hello, Soheeb. Hey, Megan. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for being here. So uh, today we've got a pretty wild case to talk about. Uh, It's pretty upsetting, so just a forewarning. Researching this was very depressing. This is the Chicago Tylenol murders. Yeah, not the most um, Christmassy, uh, uh, festive sort of thing to be talking about, but... I don't know. Tylenol during Christmas? I feel like everybody needs to bottle if they're going to try to see their family this year. True. That's that's true. Um, But in all seriousness, this is a very sad uh, situation here that happened. So should we just dive right into it? Sounds good. All right. So I'm going to start at the beginning with this. So for those of you that don't know, the Tylenol poisonings was something that happened in the 80s in Chicago, the Chicago area. Uh, And our story starts on September 29th of 1982. So way before either one of us was born. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say way, but yeah. No, way, way. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, So 1982 and... It starts with really something that's pretty common, and that's a 12-year-old girl from Schaumburg. Her name was Mary Kellerman. She wakes up, and she's not feeling well. So she goes to her parents and says she's not feeling well. So her father gets her some Tylenol, which is something that, I mean, we're all familiar with. You know, you're sick, you wake up, you don't feel good. Your parents give you some Tylenol, some cough syrup, whatever, right? So she takes the Tylenol, and her father, Dennis Kellerman, hears her go to the bathroom and then hears a thud. So he goes and knocks on the door, says, Mary, are you okay? There's no answer. He keeps calling. He eventually opens up the door and notices Mary lying on the floor, and she's unconscious. So obviously an extremely tragic situation. They call 911. They have paramedics rushed over. And unfortunately, within four hours, Mary Kellerman was pronounced dead at uh, Alexian Brothers Medical Center in Elk Grove Village. So this was, I mean, very tragic for the family. um, But the poisonings weren't on anybody's radar at this point. Well, one incident is not a pattern, right? It's right. It could be anything at that point. I bet they weren't even thinking it was poisoning. It might have been an allergic reaction. People are complaining about that these days with the, the new vaccines coming out. But these are things that happen. So, yeah, one incident is not a, is not a case study. Right. There's obviously more. Right, yeah, um, and we're going to get to that here pretty quickly. But, yeah, so I don't even know if anyone made the connection about the Tylenol at that point. They just, you know, figured she was really ill, obviously, with something. And, um, but, yeah, uh, but so because of the circumstances and her age, um, she was ordered into the medical examiner's office. So that's going on. They interview the father, and they go into the house and check things out, and... Everything checks out. Um, What the father said happened was what happened. They did list medication in her file as Tylenol, but everybody, as it says here, um, according to Chicago Magazine, everybody took Tylenol, everybody in the world. So nobody thought twice about it. We have uh, Adam Janus, a 27-year-old postal worker from Arlington Heights, and he had taken a sick day that day. Um, because he wasn't feeling well. He felt like he was getting a cold. So he eventually went to pick up his kids from preschool that day and stopped at the Jewel Osco, um, or the Jewel, to get some Tylenol. So he came home, he had some lunch with his wife, and he let her know, I'm going to take a few Tylenol and go lay down. So 
he goes in, he takes some Tylenol, and a few minutes later, he comes back into the kitchen, and he's staggering. And then he collapses right away. So we have Thomas Kim, who's the medical director of uh, Northwest Community Hospital's intensive care unit, or he was at the time. Um, And he was saying, you know, their first job is to resuscitate, and they couldn't even do that on Adam Janus. Unfortunately, um, his heart just would not start again. He is having the unfortunate job of explaining to the family what had happened, um, but they didn't even know what happened. So they told the family that his wife was there, Teresa is her name, his parents were there, uh, and a bunch of other people that they were related to. So... And this is the really, really sad, this is, of course, all sad, but this is a very sad part of the story. So Adam has been pronounced dead. Instead of going home, his parents, his brother, um, they all go back to Adam's house with his wife in Arlington Heights, and they're just kind of trying to process what's happening, okay? And unfortunately, because of the grief they were under. Adam Janus's, who's now deceased, his brother, Stanley, and his wife, Stanley's wife, decide to take some Tylenol because they have a headache, because they've been kind of through a lot that day. So, I mean, it's really sad that an entire family got hit. Like, three members of a single family were killed because, I mean, no one thinks of your everyday Tylenol bottle being the situation. Like, it's it's a common household item. I know I have one in my house, and I'm pretty sure you have one in your house. Like, oh, it's yeah. something that we don't think about, but then everybody's using the same bottle, and if it's tampered with, like, um, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but the tampering agent was potassium cyanide, which mm-hmm. is literally a white powder that can coat a Tylenol pill without looking any different. Yeah. So. So Stanley, Adam's younger brother, and his wife, Teresa, gave, they took Tylenol, and then one after the other, these two people just collapsed. So Charles Kramer, who's a lieutenant with the Arlington Heights Fire Department, He remembers arriving at the house. Um, He remembers there being people everywhere. Obviously, they were there mourning the death of Adam earlier that day. Um, And he says, quote, All eight of my men were working, four on one man and four on a woman. Everything that would happen to the man happened to the woman a few minutes later. So, as you can imagine, now with three members of one family succumbing to this poisoning, which they don't know yet, but they now are starting to raise their eyebrows about what's going on. Something's not right. Let's Um, also remember this is the 80s, and information and misinformation travel much slower. Like, there could have been a massive panic, and everybody just taking it out on Johnson & Johnson, who owns Tylenol. Well, that's coming later. Yeah, but, I mean, this was a slow burn. It wasn't a rapid thing where... I mean, I can't think of a modern equivalent, but, like, I guess today whenever you hear of a recall of any type, it's pretty much sudden. It's like, boom, we're going to stop using this. We're going to shut this down. It's, like, mm-hmm. pretty instantaneous. And this is also a very common, like, it's a common pain reliever in so many situations. Like, it's... Yeah, you definitely don't think twice about it, yeah. at least um, before this. So... Dr. Kim, back to him, he's getting ready to leave the office, and a nurse says they were bringing the Janus family back to the hospital. And so Dr. Kim thinks it's probably the parents because they're older. You know, they're probably really devastated by their son's death. Um, But then she says, no, it's his brother. And the brother was healthy. And so Dr. Kim says, well, what happened? Did he faint? And she just says they're working on him right now doing CPR, and they're working on his wife, too. So Dr. Kim then realized he's not going anywhere. He won't be going home. He has to stay. He calls lieutenant of the fire department, Chuck Kramer. He, he realizes something's going on. He realizes they had a death in the morning, and then they had two more from the same house. 
so they want a public health person. And Helen Jensen, so she's a public health nurse. And actually before this, before the two members of the Janus family pass away later in the afternoon, there's another victim, and that is Mary Lynn Reiner. She's 27, and she's from Winfield. And she recently gave birth to her fourth child. This is another very tragic story. She gave birth to her fourth child, and this was like a week earlier she had given birth. Um, She's not feeling well, so she takes some Tylenol, and she collapses. And her husband comes home uh, a few minutes later and sees her on the floor, calls an ambulance. She's rushed to the hospital, and she passes away. One of the things we got to realize is that first responders, their job is to do the most common things to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. And usually that's if you've passed out, CPR. If you're bleeding, patch it up. If you're, um, if you're like having breathing problems, like then they have to give you a respirator. That's what they're trained to do. No one's looking at your blood work right away and seeing that you're poisoned. Unless you can tell them, oh, I just ate this, and now I'm having this, you can't make those connections. So these people who were dying in the beginning of all this, like they, there was no way to pretty much save them, because what was happening is there's just, like, I mean, they were poisoned without them knowing it. It's what some people call the perfect assassination weapon, right? Like you sneak poison into somebody's food, They'll eat it. It'll take some time, like depending on the poison, and you know you have a time delay killing. Yeah. So it's one of those things where, like, unfortunately, the only way to stop this was for them to eventually figure out what was causing it, and that took investigation of okay, every single one of these people in their timeline said that they took Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only way they figured it out. Yeah. And actually, so they've got somebody from the medical's office, uh, medical examiner office investigating this. They've got a public health nurse. They've got Dr. Kim. They've got all sorts of people involved now. But while that's happening, on the same day at 6.30 p.m. at an Illinois Bell store in Lombard, Mary McFarland, a 31-year-old resident of Elmhurst, uh, she tells coworkers she has a bad headache. So she goes into the back room, takes some Tylenol, and within minutes, she's collapsed as well. We've got victims piling up here. It's a really bad situation. Meanwhile, the investigators are at the Janus house where the three family members, yeah, the three family members had passed away. And they're looking around, and they at first are kind of lost. So they go to the basement. They find that there's some metal working down there and they know that like sometimes they use cyanide for polishing and they wanted to make sure there was nothing in the basement that would have caused that. So eventually nurse Jensen, Helen Jensen, she finds a bottle of Tylenol. She notices there are six capsules missing and that there are three people dead. And so in her mind, she says, this may, this may be what we're dealing with here. And she says at first, like, nobody really took her seriously about this. Nobody gave it a second thought. Well, because it wasn't on a widespread situation. Like, no one the, no one thinks of certain things until you have it in front of you, you know? Like, this wasn't, uh, oh, my God, thousands of people are dying across the country because mm-hmm. there's tainted Tylenol. This is three people have died. And what's the connection? Like, besides the fact that they were in the same family and same house, there could be so many things. Right. Like, did they all, like, eat the same leftovers that are just killing everybody? Who knows? Right. And, yeah, they obviously haven't made this connection with the other victims yet. Right. But I think the fact that it was the three from the same household was what threw up the alarm. Mm-hmm. If it was all these individuals, it would have might have taken longer. It probably would have. Nurse Jensen is very frustrated because nobody's really giving her any attention when she says this is, I think it's the Tylenol. Dr. Kim is frustrated because he can't figure out what's wrong. Uh, and meanwhile, we have another victim, sadly. 9.30 p.m. the same day, 
35-year-old flight attendant lands at O'Hare Airport. Her name is Paula Prince. She stops at Walgreens uh, on North Wells Street to buy some Tylenol. And she is later, I mean, she lives alone, and I believe she was later found just collapsed in her bathroom or something. And that's the worst part. Like, if you're poisoned by yourself, no one's going to find you till someone comes looking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other part of this, that it was, we know there was a single actor or group of actors that were trying to do this randomly throughout Chicago and the Chicagoland area because all of these neighborhoods are driving distance from each other. Mm-hmm. We know that everyone was going to different pharmacies, getting different bottles of Tylenol. Like there was no, it was extremely random until you start connecting the dots. Yeah. So one of the investigators is, um, takes the Tylenol to not takes it, but takes the Tylenol back to, Um, the lab. He examines them. He says everything's different about the bottles except they both have the same control number, which is MC2880. And meanwhile, the uh, medical examiner says over the phone, smell them because cyanide smells like bitter almonds. Mm -hmm. So, and I guess like only a certain percentage of the population can smell it. Yeah, it's a a weird one because it's also... um Oh my, what was the other one? It's the same thing where people say about uh, cilantro. It's like a, it's a genetic disposition to actually like it, or some people think it tastes like soap. So the yeah. same thing's true with cyanide. It, like those who are either trained to or have the natural ability to smell it, it smells like bitter almonds, but if you don't have that, you'll just smell nothing. Yes, and luckily this person, the investigator, was one of the people that's able to smell cyanide. So that is how they figured it out. That there was contamination, yeah. So, like, that's another thing of this. It's like, like there was one batch that was returned, like, basically either picked up and returned or, like, indiv- I don't know how they would individually do this in general, but this is also a time where there wasn't a lot of restrictions on over-the-counter drugs yeah that's true so like there this was tylenol sitting out there like they i like i don't even know if they had childproof uh bottles at that time but they definitely did not have a seal around Mm -hmm. it like there was no airtight seal around the top there was no um uh, they still had the cotton uh ball in there because that's the thing that goes back to the 1800s uh, back in the uh, back in the eighteen hundreds, because pills were made by hand, they were very brittle. And you put them in a bottle, you shake it up, you basically have powder. So they put balls of cotton in there to keep the pills from hitting each other too much. You would still have some pills left over. And these are when I'm talking about tablets, not capsules. Mm-hmm. So like capsules, yeah, they have that like I guess it's a gel like coating. Yeah. So that keeps them a little safer, but, you know, it's still a, it's still like, I guess like a, I wouldn't, I don't want to say tradition, but it's like one of those things where if you try to take the cotton ball out of a pill bottle now, like people wonder what, what happened. Cause yeah. it's just been there forever. So now it's just a stand in. Oh yeah. So it's, it's interesting how much things have changed because now you don't need it because modern pills are made or manufactured in a way where you could shake the bottle up until like, you know, unless you put it in a blender, they're not going to pulverize that on top of like having a seal on the bottle, childproof caps. They now come in sealed packaging itself. So there's two form, uh, what's it called? Two form sealing on the bottles these days, just to make sure that people can't, or because of these cases, people don't temper with them. It's, Interesting to see how much changed because of these cases. Oh, yeah. A lot a lot changed about, yeah, for this, um, because of this. So Dr. Kim gets back, gets the results back after doing tests, and yes, the cause of death is cyanide. Um, and so now that they have discovered that this is the cause, they want to, they have to do something about the fact that Tylenol still being sold, obviously. So they decide to have a press cam- uh, press conference and warn them that there's going to be a danger. So at first, all they did, 
was say that they found cyanide and Tylenol and they warned them not it's probably not a good idea to take any. They didn't say it should be recalled at first, but they they thought it necessary to at least warn the community before any more deaths happen. So well, obviously, just like any other corporation, Johnson and Johnson had to consider their bottom line. So at first, obviously, they're not going to say no recall because that's that's a hit of hundreds of millions of dollars because Tylenol is everywhere. At first, they were going to stick to, okay, we think it's Tylenol. People stop using it. Let's figure out what's going on. When it became absolutely certain that, hey, these bottles of Tylenol are being tampered with and we don't know where they are, that's when I think like they shut down manufacturing for a while well, while they, they figured out how to make it temper-proof. Yeah. Well, actually, so... This press conference I was talking about happened at 10 a.m. the next day. So all of these victims that took it on September 29th, we're talking September 30th, they did their press conference in the morning. And then at 3 p.m. that same day, Johnson and Johnson, Johnson and Johnson announced the recall of all Tylenol from lot MC2880. This obviously caused the release of this information to the public obviously caused a lot of people that like you said earlier, panic. People were worried that, you know, they had taken Tylenol and they were worried that something was going to happen to them. And the doctor basically said, look, if you're healthy enough or you're conscious and talking to me right now, you're probably fine, but don't take any more Tylenol. So, and that's the key to this. Like the, the poison is pretty quick. Cyanide is, one of the more uh, quicker poisoning options, like you always hear about it in movies and stuff. It's yeah, like it's if you're terrible. yeah, if you're awake and not taking those pills, you're probably not poisoned yet. Yeah, so I was reading about how cyanide actually works, and it's not pretty. So it's basically a chemical exfis, ex, chemical exfis, thank asphyxiation. You. Okay, and so you're. I mean, you're able to breathe oxygen into your lungs, but the red blood cells don't take don't it in. It. So you're basically going to suffocate in your own yeah. body. And it happens pretty quick. Um, so, Well, it's like a dry drowning almost. Um, very cruel. Yeah. Of, you know, obviously whoever did this, it's a very, very cruel Well, not just cruel, to but it's also, especially at the time, it's probably one of the easiest things to obtain. Like cyanide is not, or at the time at least, was not a fully controlled substance. Mm. Like people knew that it was bad, but no one was using it for this purpose. Like, you know, you just weren't using it. Now it's a very, very controlled substance. Yeah. At this time, this is about 5 p.m. the next day, September 30th, they find Paula Prince's body. She's the flight attendant that landed at O'Hare, bought some Tylenol, and then her body's actually discovered the next day. So Monday, October 4th, the mayor, Jane Byrne, passes an ordinance requiring tamper-resistant packaging for all drugs sold in stores. And then the following day, on Tuesday, October 5th, Johnson & Johnson recalls all Tylenol products nationwide, which was 31 million bottles. And an interesting thing I thought, like I remember reading about this case is that they actually had people going out, like law enforcement going out with loudspeakers throughout neighborhoods telling people not to take Tylenol. Which, uh, the days before text messaging, email, you know, news blasts. And even before CNN. Yeah. Because, you know, there wasn't cable news at the time. So I guess people were slightly more informed because, you know, you can trust Dan Rather. But, you know, they still have to do this very person-to-person communication. Right. Yeah. So, but I thought that was really interesting. And obviously it was necessary. And it's crazy to think that 35 years ago that was the best way to get around to talking to people. Yeah. Wait. No, I rounded down. It's 38 years. So, yeah. So they have um, 
media and patrols using loudspeakers warning residents not to take their Tylenol. And so now comes the investigation part of this whole thing. So you have seven people that have died because of this. And since several sources of the Tylenol, different pharmaceutical companies were tampered with, they were able to rule out manufacturers because the seven deaths that had occurred were all within the Chicago area. So sabotage during production was actually ruled out according to Right, because a single lot could go to many uh, like cities and states. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a question that this was happening at the Johnson & Johnson level. This was more likely happening at the pharmacy level where, let's remember, this is a time where like, they didn't have tamper-proof packaging. They didn't consider... Uh, like, you know, how do you control substances, like even over-the-counter drugs. They were pretty much on a shelf at a, like, CVS or Walgreens, mm-hmm. and people were just picking up bottles and putting them right back if they didn't want them. Yeah, so the another shocking thing about this is I think they, in, like, they recalled all the products. They collected all, like, as many Tylenol bottles as they could. And they set up labs to test the recalled products to see if they could find any more information. And they found all in all eight bottles had been laced with the cyanide. And five of those bottles were uh, bottles that the victims had. Two of the bottles were sent back, thankfully, in the recall. And one of the bottles, which is crazy, was actually still on the shelf at a store. Up until the final recall where they took everything back. Right. So the initial recall... And thank God nobody bought that one. Yeah. Because there was still a a lag between the initial one-day recall to the next nationwide full recall. Right. So, yeah. There could have been more victims. Luckily, they they caught them all. Yeah. Or all the bottles. Right, yeah. Uh, Tragically, though, seven of the people that... I mean, seven people did die because of this. And to add to the misery, there were actually hundreds of copycat attacks that resulted from this. And I don't understand this, to be honest with you, because if you're going to do something this heinous and be this cruel, I mean, it's like, do you hear about something like this and think, this is a great idea. This is how I could get some attention. Or I mean, it is a mental illness, right? Like, yeah, it has to be. Like I mean, there are crazy people out there who who like to copy bad people. Like you've got like just a whole bunch of random people who have done bad things because someone else did bad things, and they want to either emulate or or you know get famous the same way the last guy did. The thing is, though, the, the person that did this, I mean, they've never been identified. They've never been charged. They've never been named. I mean, we have suspects, which we'll go yeah. over. Yeah. But so if it's notoriety, I mean, I guess part of it is just the fact that you know you did something and that's what you want. It's just the that's the part that gets you your you know, notoriety. Well, I mean, that's if that's the motive. Some people's motive would have been... Like, there was a solid case to be said that maybe the motive is just to drop Johnson & Johnson's price and make a killing in the stock market. True. Like, if you bought... Or a disgruntled employee or, or something. Yeah, or yeah. a disgruntled employee. Like, basically, you're hurting... You, like, there are ways... You could hurt the company if that's what your goal is, and that's what this would be doing. And yes, it costs seven people their lives. But, I mean, I'm... If there's somebody who made a killing off this, it would be in the stock market. Like you short Johnson and Johnson stock a day before mm-hmm. and then wait for a week after and their stock is still plummeting. It's like, yeah. This might be a stupid question, but is that something they can check for or is that like near impossible to check for? Like, No, you can check for that and you can look for that, but it's hard to actually say that that's it. Like let's yeah, say – That wouldn't be enough – a substantial evidence to right really you'd have to have a lot of it like you had to be like okay i bought this the day before and then that and then like you know there's millions of trades even then there's like thousands of trades going on and plus in the 80s there wasn't the internet to do this like if you were trading stock you were doing it through a brokerage firm you were calling your broker like on the phone 
and they were doing your trades for you. So, like, it would have to be, you'd have to be pretty white collar, like, up there Mm -hmm. to be on this level. And then there's also nothing to say that this would actually work because this is the first time, like, this is the first major nationwide recall of a product ever. Like, Mm -hmm. before this, if a toy killed you, why are you dying from a toy? Like, lawn darts were a great example. Like, Mm -hmm. they didn't recall them. They just made them illegal. But if you bought lawn darts and it turns out, oh, shit, you're basically buying throwing knives, um, (laughs) you know... They didn't take those back. You paid for it. You get to keep them. The nation made them illegal. In this case, this was a full company-wide recall. Or they took all their product back, mm-hmm. paid you back your money, uh, or replaced it with new stuff. And that had never happened before. And I should mention also Johnson & Johnson. They offered to exchange all Tylenol capsules already purchased um, for like solid tablets. So... And actually, I've read that, you know, business, this case is used in like business courses as an example of how to handle a crisis, because Johnson & Johnson was absolutely applauded for the way that they handled this, despite it costing them, what, $100 million? $100 million in product, but they rebounded within uh, six months. So because of their positive response, because of their uh, handling of the situation, which... The be- like, I mean, it also helps that every law enforcement agency absolved them of any wrongdoing from yeah. the beginning. Yeah, because like they were able to rule. Yeah. If it was a manufacturing thing, like, they would not have come back. But this was somebody who, like, after the fact was messing with their product and then mm-hmm. causing problems. The company still stepped up. Um and you see this even today. I think the most recent one I can think of off the top of my head is the Samsung Note in 2014 or 15, mm-hmm. where they had the battery that was basically catching on fire. Oh, I remember that. And Samsung, same thing. Like, okay, yeah, this is a manufacturing issue. We are not going to split hairs. We are taking them all back, and we will give you brand new phones, like, right now. Like, we mm-hmm. don't even care. And that's the key, like your bad publicity could have hurt them way more than anything else. Oh yeah. I mean, I'd be scared to death to take any, not just Tylenol. If this happened when I was alive, I I would be scared to take not only Tylenol. I wouldn't take any over the counter pill. Well, I really wouldn't. And that's the key, right? You have to like, it's about reassuring the public. It's about creating that, that good faith between corporation and consumer. And I mean, Johnson and Johnson did that with Tylenol, where they took all the old product back. Everything they took, they took all not just the capsules. They took all Tylenol products back, mm. and they replaced them with tamper-proof packaging. Correct. They replaced them like the capsules with tablets, so that you were slightly more reassured that it wasn't tampered with. And they uh, they issued it all within days. Like they didn't wait too long. Mm-hmm. Had they dragged their feet, it would have been horrible. But they did this within days in the 80s, which is a rough thing to do. Like, even today, a nationwide recall of anything could still take a week. And actually, something I didn't know is that this case actually made product tampering a federal crime, which you would think that would, I guess, did people just trust people back then? Like, this was not was, an issue? <laughs> I don't think it was trusting people. I think it was trusting the system. And I think, especially in the latter half of the 20th century, and definitely in the 21st century in America, we have lost a lot of trust when it comes to our institutions and corporations. Like Trust no one. Well, yeah, that's what it's become. Because in the past, like corporations, let's remember, like, boomers... We're in an age where they... Can you explain what that is? Because I hear that all the time. I don't know what that means. People born during the, uh, like, the baby boomer population. Born so like between, like, what, 1950 to 70, I believe. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think I have the dates right. Uh, but the point is, like, these these guys were, in a, like, grew up in an age where you got one job in a corporation, you stayed there for your life, you mm-hmm. retired with the pension... And you were set. Yeah. Like, there was your life. There's your next 40 years. 
Today, we don't even have that because every corporation is looking for their bottom dollar. And the average employee only lasts two years at a, at a job because there's a lot of turnover. There's lack of trust. You don't trust your employer to, to have your best interest. You're basically looking for the next big paycheck and your next opportunity because it may not be at the same place. So, yeah, at this time, there was a lot of trust in product and corporations, and we've lost that over time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense. Um, do you want to talk about suspects? Yeah. So, as we said before, they ruled out any tampering at the manufacturing level. And another interesting fact about this is, I guess, so eventually somebody would have had to put the cyanide inside these capsules. And I guess, like, if too much time passed, that it would kind of eat through Yeah, the the capsules are not designed to hold cyanide. Cyanide would actually... Well, no, yeah, Well, potassium cyanide, like, it's got two pieces to it. Potassium being the heavy metal would actually eat through the, the capsule part of it, so... Yeah, whoever did this had to deal within days of people buying it. Right, so they're theorizing, like, somebody must have purchased these and laced them, you know, somewhere else with the cyanide and then brought them back and put them on shelves. Right, and that's the key. Like, whatever happened, it would have to be someone taking these bottles, going somewhere else to actually put in the potassium cyanide because that's... Like, you can't just do that in a store. You had, like, they had to go in and open these capsules and replace the medicine with cyanide. Yeah. Put the capsule back together, put it back in the bottle, seal the package, outside package, and then put it right back on the shelf. Um, I would think they weren't, wouldn't be stupid enough to, to use a credit card to buy this stuff. Um, even then, like, you've got millions of people buying Tylenol, so it's probably not the best way to track them. Right. And in the 80s, you I didn't mean, have a lot of cameras. I mean, nobody saw coming. I mean... Well, you also didn't have true. a lot of cameras. So, like, if there was a camera, it was pointed only at the cash register. Because in the 80s, credit cards were less used. You had a lot more trust in what's happening in terms of your product. And there wasn't all the same digital tracking. Like, sure, you had UPC codes to scan product, but there wasn't all this, like, super high-end tracking of digital tracking of every single bottle. Like, you could have taken, like, somebody could have easily taken them home, did the did the deed, brought them back, right. put them back on the shelf, no one would know. And, and nobody would have even and batted an eye. And put them right in the front so that they'd be the next one taken. Like, you don't think of that, but the first one you take, like, you know, that's it. But, yeah, so I'm just going to dive in real quick to some suspects. So one thing we should mention is this guy that sent a letter to Johnson & Johnson demanding $1 sorry, $1 million to stop the poisoning, and his name was James William Lewis. Um, he was identified with fingerprints that he left on the envelope, and... Police were not able to link him with the crimes. He was living in New York, but he was convicted of extortion. Well, because they did track him to the fact that he sent that letter to... Correct, yes. So he did send these le- this letter. They couldn't link him to the crimes, and I guess he ended up denying them anyway. And it just turned out this guy was just trying to get a paycheck, I guess. I mean, that's, that's part of the copycats, right? Like, there's it's one of those things where these guys who... Like, they see the opportunity, and if no one else is taking advantage of it, why not be the one to say, hey, I'll stop it if you pay me a million bucks, because, you know, after the fact. But the problem with ransoms is you get caught. Like, if you're actually going to get paid, the only way to pay you is to know who you are, and you're done. I never understood that, to be honest. Like, the people that are like, drop off the money at you know, X, Y, Z location and don't tell the cops. It's like, you know, somebody has to go pick that money up. Somebody... Well, they usually have stand-ins. All they have to do is surveil you from secrecy and you're 
done. And that's usually how people get caught, which is why that never works. It never works because people get caught in getting your money. Even if you're using untraceable currencies like Bitcoin, there's always a trail. There's always somewhere to find you. Like governments and corporations have learned how to track stuff. Like it might be semi anonymous, but at the end of the day, you're still going to have to collect your money somewhere because you can't use Bitcoin as Bitcoin. It has to be used for material or trade goods, which is how people get caught. Yeah. Moving to our next suspect, there was a dock worker named Roger Arnold. Um, I guess he was, he was an employee or he worked at the Jewel where one of the poisoned bottles was found. And he was at a bar one night and he was making some suspicious uh, comments about the Tylenol poisonings. And I don't know exactly what was said, but I just know that it was suspicious. He was eventually looked at by police. They questioned him. They searched his home. They found a few things that were a little, a little weird there, like how to commit a crime or some kind of book like that. I love how like a dude bragging at a bar is a suspect. Well, we don't know what he said. Like if he bragged about it or uh, all I could find was that he made like, that's not evidence. I know it's not evidence, but he apparently, but get this, this, the plot is going to thicken here in a second. He actually blamed somebody named Marty Sinclair, who was the owner of the bar that he was at. He blamed this guy for, he thought this guy turned him into police because of whatever comments he was making. So he actually shot and killed somebody who he thought was this guy. Um, this guy that he killed was named John Stanisha. This was a guy that wasn't related to any any of this case at all. He mistook him for the bar owner. Dear God. Shot and killed him uh, and served 15 years in prison. And he actually just, uh, he died. I don't know why I say he just died, but he died in 2008. Um, it seems like that was just yesterday, doesn't it? No. Uh, <laughs> but it it it's sad that people take the law into their own hands like that. It's just that's how you make mistakes. That's and that's not justice. That was pure vigilantism. You're right. Vengeance, not even vengeance. Just pure vigilantism. All because he thought this guy reported him to the police, but it wasn't even the right guy. Not just that. It's like yeah, this all started with a whole bunch of misunderstandings. It's like okay. If you're going to report somebody to to the police, you better have some evidence. Like false reports, and this is actually a, a huge. Nobody thing. knows who reported this guy, but yeah, you're right. right. But false reports, like apparently, this, like they could end your career in a lot of cases. But but come on, like there, let's we don't know what he said at this bar. What if he did right. say some pretty incriminating no, things? But we don't know what he said at this bar, right? But if, if you were if you were at a bar and you overheard something like this, like uh-huh. something big going on in the news like this if you were alive during this time and you heard somebody say something just again we don't know what he said but that's the problem we don't know what he said so if but I, maybe he said if something. i overheard somebody talking about a crime right and i was a hundred percent sure about the crime i would first look into getting corroborating information hey you wouldn't i say, just heard i would okay let's say he was sitting at the bar I would go to the bartender. Hey, I just heard him say this. Did you hear that? I would figure and out. And if you're the only one that heard it, you're telling me you wouldn't report it? Either. If I'm the only one that heard it, I would actually consider benefit of the doubt before I start reporting people to cops. No way, yes, man. Yes, I swear. I, I disagree swear with to God, you. Because here's the thing. Reporting someone to the cops is essentially, an, uh, it, it basically starts the trial. But it's not it's like, like they're going to get arrested. No, it just- is exactly that. They are going to get arrested. Like, if you are a minority person in America and you get accused of something, you're pretty much guilty until proven innocent. And that's a problem. Well, I don't think this guy was a minority, but yes, I get what you're saying. But that's a problem in the way the justice system works. And on top of that, it's a problem of how everything works. But what if Sohib, this man, let's say you heard this man saying something suspicious about these crimes in a bar. Isn't it? Now, let me just finish this question. Unless he said, I did this and I killed these people and ha, 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 ha. Can I just quit? 
and I have that on recording. Let me just finish. Then the it's my word against his, and I don't think that's enough to even go to the cops. Okay, but let me just finish the question. Yeah. Let's say you hear a guy say something suspicious, maybe not to that extent, but something really kind of sketchy. Your reporting it or not reporting it could mean a matter of life or death for someone else if this person is still doing it. You know what I'm saying? Now, no, 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 no. Let me finish. I'm just saying, isn't it better to have the cops look into it than not saying anything and then be sorry the next day? Because there are so many of these cases that I've researched, Soheeb, where there's been a witness, there's been somebody that saw something suspicious and they didn't think much of it, and then something else happened, and then by then, it's too late. To quote Captain America... Every time someone tries to stop bad things from happening, good people get hurt. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because what's going to happen is, yeah, you might be right, but you're equally likely to be wrong unless, like, unless you have proof. Okay? Unless, unless it's something like, hey, I'm going to go kill that guy right there, or I'm going to blow up some building, that's different. And, you know, there's usually, like... A lot more to it. But some guy, a couple months after it all, the incidents have happened, is bragging about doing something. We if, don't know if he was bragging. We don't even know what fair. he was saying. That's exactly, the problem. Yeah. No, that's like, right. We have no context, but someone did report this guy to the police. He must have and said something that concerns someone. Well, what he said. It's not reported. Well, but. that's the problem. If there's no report, that means it wasn't enough to report. No, not so necessarily. It the could cops have been could like, have been keeping the prob- the cops probably knew exactly what he said. Well, then they, they just be didn't. Re- why? It's been long enough. Why are there still secrets? That's the other problem guess, with all this. I mean, why so much secrecy around all this? If you have valid evidence, let it out. Like uh, the trials are over. Most of the people involved in this thing are dead anyway. I'm Might not as well saying, release it all and just call it. But to that point, I'm not saying it's unless not you unless you have absolute proof that someone is going to commit a crime and uh, that is what the only time you s- start talking to the police the insinuation of a crime is sometimes enough to cause a cataclysmic event to hurt people maybe like let's put it this way um and there's a lot of situations of uh, um van jones cnn reporter uh this was during the um during the uh, George Floyd incidents, once said, as a, uh, like, just as a black man, my life would be no, over if a woman even be- accused me of, of a crime. Because I would be in police custody, I would have an arrest record, I would have, basically I would have to fight tooth and nail to prove my innocence. That is not true of that is definitely not true of white America, where you get accused of a crime, you there is an automatic level of like doubt before there's justice. On top of that, there's also the the fact that in in our system, anytime you're arrested, you have to report it. Every but time, just because this guy's question doesn't mean he's going to get arrested. Was he even arrested? I should it, look. Yes, it up. he was. He was arrested. That's the problem. So now his his financial life is over. No, it says he was identified, investigated, and cleared of the killings. But I don't know. Maybe he was arrested and it just Maybe arrested say. and then you still got to get that expunged. He said he actually... No, this is to your point. This guy, Roger Arnold, that we're talking about, he had a nervous breakdown due to media attention. So No, that goes along with what you're just, saying. It's all part of it. And even if he was just investigated... That means that they're going to talk to his employer. His employer could be like, hey, we don't want this attention. we got to let you go. True. They're going to talk to his family and friends. Oh, my God, what the hell did he do? The investigations can ruin your life. True. And false accusations have the same power. The problem is when people start taking the law into their own hands, hey, I overheard this. I don't remember exactly what he said. But that's not taking the law into your own no, no, hands. That's that reporting is. it no, no. so they can deal with it how they want to deal so with it. What what gives them why do they have to report it? More importantly, if you're gonna report something, you had better be damn sure Why do they have and, to report it? No, why why report something that's only like hearsay? Well we don't know exactly we, again what he said. Exactly. We don't if know I what he said. I'm assuming say something he didn't hear enough. Suspicious, I would definitely report it. And it depends on what they said. Like if they're just talking crap. Snack, yeah. If they're just talking crap saying like like 
who knows? But like, if they're saying stuff, if that, he's like, like, "Oh man, those people got what they deserve." Now it's all this. Like, yeah, well, that I not, wouldn't report. But because that's, not, that's just some unless, guy. But, again, unless he said, "Hey, you know what happened last month? That was all me. I did that. I killed these seven people." Ha 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 ha. Unless you, that's what you heard, and you're willing to stand up in court and say that's what you heard. Then you, then like you know, that's the only way you report this stuff. If it was like, oh, he was talking about stuff and it sounded pretty suspicious, that's not enough. It's not enough to convict somebody, but it's, it's worth, not enough to report. It's worth looking into. I think. No, it's not because you've got copycats everywhere. You've got that's true insane but... people who decide to take credit for stuff. Well, these that aren't they people that do. shouldn't be looked into. If they're still, mm. even if they're copycats, they should be looked into. No, copycats should be looked into, of, of course, but. You need substantial evidence to start looking into people. You can't just start opening the books and be like, oh, that guy was at a bar drinking no, and then dude. he said these things. No, so you need substantial evidence. You to, need evidence. You need evidence. Okay, fine. You need evidence to convict somebody in a court, but you don't need yes, to know for 100% certain to say, hey, I think this sounded a little bit fishy. You might want to look into this guy. You know, mm. it could be nothing, but no, I just want to make sure. No, because our justice system doesn't have a benefit of the doubt. There's no benefits to anybody to be looked into. There is just... If That's being, not true because this guy was true. cleared. This guy was cleared. But because I couldn't link him to a, it. But he had a nervous breakdown. No one cared about him afterwards. Who, do you, and, who, who says no one cared about him? Uh, the system didn't care about him because the system doesn't care. And then on top well, of he that, actually shot and killed this guy that he thought turned him in. Right. So but then he you, was, you, it was mistaken so identity. In, in this whole thing, you've created a new criminal. I mean, by you could in, look at it that by, way, or you could look at it like... investigating him and doing what they did to his life. I don't know what they did. Did he lose his job because of the investigation? That doesn't I don't say know. there. Like, what we're reading, we don't know, but did I he will lose look, his job? I will look more into it and post it, or I'll put an update on the podcast, because I would be curious to see what happened to this guy. I know he passed away in 2008, but... No, yeah, I, will, so, I, will, I will look so into it. there's that. a lot to it, and that's the problem. Like, hearsay and reporting are very different, and today... Like, you know, to anybody's point, if you're ever questioned, first words is get me a lawyer. That is the first words anybody should ever say before talking to anybody of authority because screw makes you look guilty. You know, the, well, that, that crap is basically a way for cops to. But that's how you solve crimes in one sense. In one. No, that's how you that's how you can report solving crimes but that's not actually how you solve crimes no but so he like there if somebody doesn't come forward and there's vital information like i'm not saying this was vital information talking, it could have been here. complete bull exactly that's the problem it could, it have, could have it could have yeah. i'm saying but and it sounds like it wasn't vital because they didn't have anything to stick so the guy who reported it was basically reporting hearsay but if, if it was vital there would have been a, there would have been enough to convict him I guess we just disagree on this because if I heard something sus- that I thought sounded not right and it, there was something like this going on where innocent people were being It comes down to your killed. judgment call and – Right. But you got to make the right judgment call. This guy apparently whatever was reported was enough to cause an investigation but not enough to get this guy – So there guy, you go. But not enough to get this guy caught and convicted and more importantly, investigations are what can ruin your life. But – it, because they'll go after you. They are going to rip your life apart, and they're not going to care about putting it back together afterwards. So give me, let me give you a hypothetical. So there's like a guy. Let's say there's a guy on the... the, uh, the hypotheticals no, no, no. are always BS no, because you can out. make a hypothetical for anything. But hear me out. This actually, this was in college. I, this happened. There was a guy that was playing with a knife on a train, and he was yelling aggressively at people. And I think it was one of our friends, I won't name them, told the um the conductor, the conductor yeah. that there's a guy with a knife well that's different he didn't technically stab anybody but no, does no. that mean we shouldn't have said anything but that's a weapon in in public that's totally different all right you're right that had the different. guy been like I, that was different hang right. on had the guy on the train just been like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna take it i'm gonna do, I'm just like ranting like crazy i've seen that on cta all the time but I don't yeah. report those guys because it's on the CTA. And they're you not, don't report that? No, because they're just sitting there in the corner just ranting, and that's not a big deal because I don't know what's going on there. Dude had a knife out. I would have reported it. But that's it. not a chance I'd be willing to take. I mean, if, if really? I Really? Heard... Because if you're, you're going to report everybody that's ranting no. crazy on the CTA, no, 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 CPD no, no, will have no, nothing no. else to do. 
No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if I'm let, if we're just talking about this case, let's say if I'm yeah. so if, if I'm in a bar and I hear some yeah if I'm at a bar and if I'm in 1982 and I hear somebody talking again, we don't know what he said. We don't know if he confessed or if he said if he, he did confessed. Something. Fine, that's no, 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 no. But if he but said if something like, that made me think, like I'm not, I can't give you a specific example, but why if not? he said. Okay, I because could. Because there's only two there's only two things that he could have said. No, no, there's no. There's either no. So he, some bullshit about the case where it's like, "Oh my god, you're talking about the case." Uh-oh. Or he legitimately said facts and figures that make you think that he did something wrong. In which case, if it's an ongoing investigation and there are people in the public that are literally dead because of this, yeah, I would say some to the police. And I'm not trying to crucify anyone. I think everyone deserves a fair trial, but like, if you're saying something suspicious that sounds not right to me, unless it's a confession, it's not reportable. But it opinion. is. Re- I mean, it's reportable. It doesn't mean he's he's going to pay for these. Crimes. I mean, what would he have been said? Check that- him out. If he's fine, okay. then he's fine. Like so, they did. They checked him out. He. They didn't but the problem him. in checking him out was the fact that it caused him all this pain and suffering. And there's no. There's no. Well, maybe he shouldn't have been running his mouth at the bar. He confessed. That's like, or, or literally said that. Hey, guess what I did? You're at a bar. You're drinking. He's probably not saying it. Like, if if that's what happened, like they investigated him because he was reported. But if he wasn't on their radar to begin with, he probably wasn't going to be on their radar until someone called him out. Can I say something else? He does have a connection, though. He worked at one of the stores where the... the So wouldn't they have been investigating everybody at the stores? Because they said that they investigated store employees, former employees. They also investigated, like, employees of Johnson & Johnson and the pharmacies. Like, they investigated all these guys. But apparently this one guy who had a special report on him from a bartender, got a little more attention than the rest. Okay, so he, if, like, let's say you had, like, a... Let's say you had a really expensive, like, set of headphones, and there's, like, five people that are here at my place, and we're all, like, we're chatting, and, like, you get distracted. The headphones are gone. And then I overhear somebody, like... I hear Dave saying, like, oh, man, I... Those those headphones that Sohib has are so awesome. I've been wanting some of those. Blah blah blah. And if I are you telling me that that guy is not worth more of an investigation than somebody else that's here? I mean, come yes. on, man. I'm exactly saying that because if he's just well, that ain't right. Well, if he that's what goes against logic to me. No, it doesn't go against logic. To me, it does. That's like complimenting or talking about a situation is not the same as being involved in a situation. Well, again, we don't know what this guy said, but yes. Yes, so unless he said that he did it, then he wasn't reportable. Everything else was in the news. Everything else was pretty much public information. And if he was an employee, he was already in the big pool of investigation that they were supposed to do. But because somebody... like decided to speak but up. But that's valuable you know, information for no, it's somebody not. in law it's enforcement. It's not. It's basically a way to single somebody out in law enforcement because they need something. They law enforcement needs a reason, right? Yeah. So if he was just a big pool of people that was former employees at whatever pharmacy location, he would have been overlooked because there's not enough to do anything on him. But if somebody says, "Oh, that guy said something," now you've got a single finger pointing at another one person you can focus in. Yeah. Investigations die because they don't have enough to actually narrow stuff down. But sometimes that's a good thing because what we're learning now, especially from this case, is it most likely was a single actor or a group of actors that were doing this, in my opinion, to mess with Johnson & Johnson stock price. You're talking because about the actual criminals. The actual criminals, yes. Or the criminal. Do you think it, do you think it was more than I, one person? I could have been more than one person. Who knows? Like, that's, that's one way to keep it. Uh, like, they did it in multiple cities throughout the Chicagoland area, right? So it could have been as easy as one person going to all these pharmacies. Not impossible. Right. It could have been a group being like, hey, I've got this great idea to make a bunch of money. Let's short Johnson & Johnson stock. Let's tamper with Tylenol. And people start dying. But, hey, it'll drop the price. you got to be a real diabolical human being to, yes, for that to be. Yes, you do. And I think they've made a whole bunch of story uh, movies about that in Hollywood. But the point is, like, unless the reason this one person was fit, like pointed out mm-hmm. is probably like 
wasn't enough to actually give like a real conviction, but it was enough to ruin his life. We don't know that for a fact. We do. Well, it sounds like he... We do, because he said the media attention caused him to have a nervous break, and then he killed somebody. You're right. I'm sorry. So, yeah. I mean, I'll give it to you. If this guy... I mean... So, I, there's no proof he he was involved. Well, it no, sounds there's like proof they that he some... wasn't involved because the investigation cleared him. No, like, that doesn't well, mean he, there's proof I guess he wasn't there's no involved. Proof, yeah, it means there's the no proof he was involved, which is you're innocent until proven guilty. But that goes against our, uh, our system, right? You're innocent until proven guilty, but they're going to spend all their time trying to figure out how to prove you guilty. I mean, I get what you're saying, right? But at the same time, like I listen to a lot of these cases and. One of the main things that I hear in these cases is, like, people saying, the police saying, if you've seen anything, if you've heard anything, even if you think it's insignificant, come forward because it well, could yeah, help because us. because they need probable cause. But the problem is, giving well, probable cause... probable cause is Probable there. cause can be as simple as this guy mentioned it. That's the problem. Like, probable cause is such a vague term... That it comes down to people making judgment calls. And if you make bad judgment calls, you're going to ruin people's lives. Okay, regardless of who committed these heinous, heinous crimes, it's definitely evident that this is something that destroyed a lot of people. And, you know, if Roger Arnold was innocent, which, I mean, he there was no evidence that showed he was guilty... It's it's a tragedy for him as well and his family. So yeah, I mean this the initial case hit five different families, but at the end there's a lot of pain to go around because that's another part of unsolved and senseless crime where if there's no real purpose and there's no finality to it, it leaves it a very open ended. Like we've got five families who are now uh, at the end of this two day ridiculousness that are never going to be whole again. Yeah. Before we sign off, I just wanted to mention and kind of pay tribute to the victims. There was 12-year-old Mary Kellerman. She was a 7th grader at Adams Junior High School in Schaumburg. If she were alive today, she would have she would be 50 years old today in 2020. So, obviously a life that was taken way too soon. She's currently um buried at St. Michael, the Archangel Catholic Cemetery. Adam Janus, he was a postal worker. He was the father of two young children. He was living in Arlington Heights. Again, that's another tragic situation. His brother and sister-in-law, they were the ones that also passed away the same day as him. Paula Prince, she was the flight attendant. She worked for United Airlines. On the day of her death, she flew from Las Vegas to O'Hare International Airport, and then she was discovered the next day. Mary Reiner, she was married to her husband, Ed. They had just given birth to their fourth child, uh, and she used Tylenol to relieve her post-birth discomfort. And then finally, there's... Mary McFarland. She was um, working at her job at Illinois Bell in Lombard when she felt the bad headache coming on. She had a family as well. She had um, siblings. She had children. So all around, this is a very, very tragic situation. All of these people should still be with us today. Do you have anything else to add? I don't know. No, I mean, this was a this is a case of senseless mass murder. Unfortunately, we don't know who actually did it or why. I mean, we can make all these speculations, and there's all these people who were considered part of it, but honestly, like, there wasn't, like, this... The only good thing that came out of this is better uh, standards for over-the-counter drugs and better tampering measures on most harmful or anything that could be harmful when it comes to packaging because that was a big deal but other than that i mean this was just a whole bunch of senseless murder and you know you hate seeing it but unfortunately it is a it's part of the reality we have to live with absolutely yeah so when you next go to open your next uh package of tylenol and you are fighting through the seals and the 
um, tamper-resistant stuff that they have on there. This is the case that prompted all that. This is the case that inspired that. And so we just, you know, rest in peace to all the victims. And it's unlikely they're going to find out who did this. You know, it's been so long, but victims rest in peace. But yeah, that's that's all I have. And uh, thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks, thanks for again, having me, Megan. So yeah, thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to episode 7 of 1 Minute and 43 Seconds, a true Unsolved Mysteries podcast. If you are interested in more information, please check out our website, 143mysteries.com, and follow us on Instagram at 143mysteries. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been approved by Skipper the Cat. Right, Skippy?